We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rockpile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And this is potentially our final preview show. Allegedly. Of the 2023-2024 NFL season. Guys, we're talking about week 18, the Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. Time 8 p.m. Eastern Standard on NBC's Sunday Night Football. Uh, place Hard Rock Stadium down there in southern Florida. The weather is going to be 75 degrees, mild wind with a 75% chance of rain. The line, Chris, shockingly, the Bills are now favored. I saw Bills by three. Bills, three-point road favorites, which is wild to me. Now, Chris, you know what I've always said about taking the opponent with the points? Yeah. I, I don't like this. You know what I like even less? I like the guy. I, I hate the guy who's officiating this. I hate his stupid face. Who is it? Alex Kemp. Alex Kemp, has his crew has thrown the third most, most flags in the NFL this season. Not only has he thrown the third most flags, but he holds the widest disparity among all officials in flags for the flags thrown against a home team versus against the away team. Like, like you look at this, some of these guys, they go, oh, home and away, 94, you know, 105. It's fairly close. You know, that, that's believable. Brad Rogers, 92 to 94. He's pretty much right down the middle. 89 to 115. That's almost 30 more battles. He's called on visiting teams. Uh, great. So just so you know, this is what we're in store for, guys. It's going to be a, a, an amazing penalty-heavy 
not road friendly game, which is awesome, you know, in a game that you need in order to make the postseason. Chris, what do we got on the 506 for the early slate? I mean, we have uh, Foxes gracing everyone in Buffalo with Jets and Patriots. Ew. Fox early. We have four games. We get uh, <clears throat> two each. We have uh, Jacksonville, Tennessee okay. early. That's Philadelphia, that... the Giants late on CBS. Well, hang on a second. Before we go on, Jacksonville, yeah. that game's big for us. I'm happy, that, I'm happy that it's on in our market because the outcome of that game directly impacts yeah, and the well, the other AFC South matchup is Saturday afternoon. On, that's national on mm-hmm. NBC, yeah, or ABC, which you get Chris Fowler and uh, Dan Orlovsky and Lewis Riddick for that game. I like Lewis Riddick. I like Orlovsky a lot. Orlovsky's not bad. Why? Why aren't him and okay? So if you could put Lewis Riddick and Orlovsky together as a crew, how come no one's hired them yet? I like them both. They work for ESPN. They do ESPN B games if they get if they have two matchups. I'm just surprised no one else has tried to hire them away. Now there's something called contracts. Mm. Is there? Yeah. And then what do we have in the late window? Uh, Fox early is Jets Patriots, and then the late game is Dallas Washington. I kind of wait. When's Pittsburgh Ravens? Uh, that's a Saturday night. Hmm. Okay, good. So we'll have no, all Saturday afternoon. Okay, so we'll... Saturday night is Houston, Indianapolis. Pittsburgh, Baltimore's got Fowler, Riddick, and Orlovsky. Houston and Indianapolis have Buck and Aikman. So by four o'clock on Sunday, we'll know what the Bills need. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So there'll be a whole four hours that we can agonize over it. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of wish I could watch games on Sunday with Kyle Washington. Because Denver at Las Vegas is Jason Benetti and Matt Millen. Matt Millen, they're letting it. I thought he died. I've said this before. He should have. <laughs> I've said this before. That man should have been shot in public for crimes against football. After what he did as the GM of the Lions, they should have dragged him behind a horse through the desert. Is what should have happened to that guy? Yeah, like in Back to the Future Three. <laughs> exactly like that. Just Matt Millen and that stupid mustache is. Oh, my God. Injuries of note ahead of this one. The Buffalo Bills, relatively clean. Josh Allen, neck injury. DeMar Hamlin, has got a shoulder. Everyone else looks like they're, even the ones who are nursing something, are ready to go. For Miami. Wow. Looks like a CVS receipt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, what is this right now? Because if you want to give it a goog and throw it up there on the TV, but from just my own personal notes, outside linebacker Bradley Chubb, out. ACL tear. Xavier Howard, doubtful with a foot injury. Our offensive guard Robert Hunt, questionable with a hamstring injury. He looks like he's trending to being able to play after weeks of being out. Jalen Waddell, ankle injury, but based on what happened to them after this last game, I, I can't imagine. I, I think knowing what's at stake, I think he's going to play even if he's 70%. Raheem Mostert, knee and ankle injuries. He's, I mean, he, this poor guy. He, he's been pretty fantastic for them this season, especially in terms of scoring touchdowns. And yet, here we are. I mean, Chris, that, 
right there. Guys, if you were watching on YouTube, this is it's there. Wow. What is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine, 20. 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, there's almost 20 names on their injury report. Only two of them practiced in full. Everyone was either limited, or I think there's six guys who didn't participate at all. Illness, ankle injuries, foot injuries. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all bad, Chris. It's all bad. So, all of the joking that people did in the preseason about the NFL being scripted. You remember that whole thing? Social media ate it up about the game script. Heard of it. It's moments like this that can almost make you feel that way, right? Yeah. Like, it's pretty fitting that the Dolphins would go into a game, get just thumped. Now they're here, and it's a must-win for two teams that are... I think you can call at least this iteration of the Buffalo Bills. You know, Since Josh Allen got here, since Sean McDermott got here, blue bloods to a certain degree, at least in the AFC. We are teams that are always going to be competitive because we have that quarterback and we have a decent, we have a decent defense. That alone is going to have you in every single annual conversation. The Miami Dolphins are trying to establish themselves as one of those teams. It's just you got to win a couple of these in order to really get there. And it's it's theater. It's you know it's 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 poetry. You couldn't have drawn this up any better that the Dolphins are going to get to go home in a place where they've played really well over the year and they're going to host the Bills who have kind of been the reason that they haven't had success. Go back to Chris, all they had to do was beat our backups and they would have been in the playoffs. And we Matt, dropped like 50 on them. Matt Barkley outscored them. Matt Barkley came in at halftime and scored more points than their offense. Then you go back to, hey, Dolphins are in the driver's seat. It looks like they're going to win the, it looks like they're going to win the division. And then they come to Buffalo on a snowy night and it just gets ripped away from them. With a Josh Allen run and a Josh Allen Superman two-point conversion, he dives over the line. Just all the dramatic plays that drove that game. And we steal it away. And now you have to come to Buffalo instead of us having to come to you. And that's how the, the that's how things shake out in the playoffs. If that game that ended, like they almost beat us with Skylar Thompson. If that game were in South Beach, maybe it ends differently. But that's not the case. They had to come here. And then this year, they come to Buffalo, and they just get squashed. But then Buffalo trips and stumbles and falls all over itself. And so Miami stakes this great lead. I think at one point, Chris, it was up to three games in the division. Yeah. And then slowly, it's the Michael Myers thing. I, you know, we were joking. That with, Titans game fucked him big time. Well, that Titans game is an embarrassment. That should never happen to you. If you're a division-winning team, no team should come back on you and win like that, especially not the Titans. So, with that in mind, you're looking at this where the Dolphins, I, I, I mean, realistically... They're still a very good football team. They're very good at home. Their win percentage is solid. They're going to do a lot of things. 
At the same time, they've allowed the thing that we joked about all year long on the AFC's roundup. This concept of we are Michael Myers. And Miami's the pretty girl who's just trying to get away and be cool. You could just keep moving. But don't trip over that box or don't panic and try to jump off the balcony thinking that's faster and twist your ankle because if you do, we'll stalk you down. And sure enough, here we are. We're right on the doorstep of getting that, you know, that, that horror movie kill right there where we, we come into your house and we take something away from you and leave you lamenting all of the mistakes that you made to put yourself in this position. We're right there. Chris, in the 90s, back when our teams were always battling for the AFC, AFC East, mm-hmm. things generally came down to the wire, like late season games, as to who was going to end up with the crown. And you know, we, we, as we talked about a lot with tonight's guest, this rivalry finally feels back to a certain degree, doesn't it? It does. Uh, there's a uh, alternate... I guess back to the future two scenario. There's an alternate ending to an AFC East episode that I did because you did it the next day with Alf, and I told you I would do it, but mm-hmm. I did make mention in 1993, 30 years ago, Miami went nine and two to start the year, and then they lost their last five games, and they missed the playoffs. So something as catastrophic as that, I think, is about to happen where they've been in the driver's seat all season and they're about to lose the division to the Bills. Now, here's here's a fun fact for you, Chris. I saw a tweet from Joe Shad, which for those of you watching on YouTube, you're going to be able to see it. What do you think the cheapest seats in the house for this Dolphins game are? A couple hundred bucks. When you say a couple hundred, like 300. Okay. $345 to sit in the kids zone with no alcohol permitted. 371 to sit. They called it the anything goes section, which I think is a mistake to tell Bills fans that they're sitting in an anything goes section. If you're going to have an anything goes section, that other section be called should be called Jared from Subway. Out of age. <laughs> I'm looking at this going, that's a lot of money to be made on the secondary market. What kind of Dolphins attendance do you actually expect compared to the Bills fan presence that's probably going to roll in? I mean, I'd, I'd expect, I mean, we already know someone that's flying down because they have a lot of money. Because he, wait, I, wait, whoa, 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 self-proclaimed millionaire? Allegedly. Man, bounce houses make a lot of money, huh? Yeah. There's going to be a bunch of people that go down for this game. Because as of right now, this is our Super Bowl. <laughs> so I mean, it is. There is no tomorrow. I mean, if we win this game and then get bounced in the wild card, I mean, to an extent for me, it's a successful season because you kept Miami out from winning the division, which is always fun for me. I mean, for me, it's just this idea that you... You're right here on the doorstep of doing the thing that dominant football teams do. You maintain possession of the division, and you prove that you're the better coached team. Their offense may have a few tricks up their sleeve. They may have some speed and some 
some real skill at some very important positions, but that doesn't mean they can't get beat. Right? You've watched teams do it. You know, teams beat them. The Eagles beat them. You know, we almost beat the Eagles. The Chiefs beat them. We beat the Chiefs. There's, we pummeled Dallas and Dallas took them to the wire. It's one of those things where you, if we don't win, it won't be like, you always want to be making the postseason if you're a good football team. If you are a good team, you are consistently in the playoff conversation. Look at Mike Tomlin. Consistently in the playoff conversation. Never had a losing record. Because he's a good coach, and he regularly has good football teams. They are sound. They don't make mistakes. We have been anything but. We are getting by more on talent than our own execution. I want to see them go out there into hostile territory in a must-win game and handle their business because they are the better team and that just that they're more composed. A lot of that will have to do with not only their own stuff, but also the fan presence. I'm going to be interested to see what the Dolphins fan compared to Bill's fan turnout is going to be. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so speaking of Dolphins fans, we welcome to the show Mr. Alfartiaga, the host of Three Yards Per Carry. You, For those of you who listen to the AFC East Roundup podcast, you know him, you love him, or maybe you don't love him if you're Pat Cleary. But um, in any event, Elf, you are a man of the people here. <laughs> It. Yes. And I got to say that you have been the most confident guest we've had all season in relation to the team over on the Roundup podcast. And fresh off an ugly blowout home loss. I'm just curious as to your view of the job the staff is doing right now to manage that. Uh, Well, on the on the road. We lost in, in Baltimore. Um, yeah. Uh, how they're handling it. Well, the head coach is handling it. I guess the right way. And if you heard, uh, hard knocks, he had plenty of, plenty of things to say on the sideline. Um, how they handle it on game day on the defensive end was odd to say the least. This has happened a couple of times. Uh, good thing is that they've always managed to, to bounce back. They've bounced back all, all year. They haven't lost two in a row this season and they're pretty good at home except for that one fluke loss against the, <clears throat> the Titans. And here we are exactly where I predicted they would be. Although with one less win. No, one more win. It's funny because you did say early in the season, we were talking about preseason predictions. You did point out that this game that we're about to play would probably be for the division. You said that multiple uh, times. uh, It's on, if you could go, if you could go to our page, go there. We have an episode right before the the season starts. It's called the season preview. 
and we make our predictions at the end of the game, at the end of the the, the show. Um, Simon agreed with me, so I predicted eleven and six and division champions as they will win this game. Although I did nail one thing, I said New England was going to be god awful, but I had the Jets being pretty good at making the playoffs. But I expected Aaron. I think Rogers. everybody did. <clears throat> Nobody expected okay. that guy to get literally to just explode in front of everybody. I mean, it's the well, so you're making that prediction <clears throat> with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my predictions were eleven and six Miami, eleven and six Buffalo. Miami gets the tiebreaker. The Jets ten and seven, and I had the Patriots six and eleven. So that's pretty good. So Chris Kaufman had predicted twelve and five and the division title. So it's a little bit different. I'm at the stadium. <clears throat> you know, I'm there watching the Bills game. I go, I get a drink, I take a look at the you know the out of town scores as they flash them across the board. It's a relatively tight game between Baltimore and Miami. So I go, I get a drink, I stop, I want to go say hi to some people in the section over, you know, happy new year, all that fun stuff. I come back to the seats and I'm sitting there and I'm not even really paying attention to the scoreboard, and all of a sudden I look up and they, it's like they jumped. The Ravens went from in an eight-minute window, went from it being like a one-point game, a one-score game, to all of a sudden they had thirty-four points. I hate to burst your bubble. They did not show the score at all in the stadium. They didn't. No. Okay, then maybe it was that, on my phone because I yes. remember seeing it and going, "What the? F- what?" Because at first I'm like, "That that's not right. That they, they can't. They didn't just explode like that." And then you know, I go back and I rewatch it. Big plays down the field. I didn't, you know, I, there's all these things going on. And there was a lot of good for the Dolphins. You know, A-Chain had a great game. What I think with like 107 yards rushing. He was averaging like eight yards a carry. But your defense was just giving up chunk plays down the field. Bad in the red zone. Players are coaching. Who do you think should bear more of the blame for that loss? Uh, it's a lot on the players, and I, and I could I could point you exactly where all the problems lay. If you if you remember the game script, it was pretty simple. Uh, the the Ravens won the toss. They elected they elected to receive the second half kickoff, so they kicked off to Miami. Miami drove right down the field, seventy five yards for a touchdown mm-hmm. on the opening drive. Okay, uh, on the ensuing drive, the Ravens had three penalties, and they were backed up on third and eighteen. They throw a screen pass. Dolphins miss four tackles. It goes for a first down. Five plays later, it's a touchdown. No matter. The score is tied 7-7. Miami gets the ball back. They drive the length of the field once again, and Tyreek Hill drops a wide-open touchdown in the end zone on third down. They kick the field goal, and then you can see how the game starts to evolve, devolve from there. The main culprits were Javon Holland was playing for the first time in five weeks, and... He had some really odd comments this week, okay? He has his own radio show that he does at a car dealership every every Monday. And he was asked, you know, how did it feel to being back on the field for the first time in five weeks? He said that he felt kind of clueless. He didn't know what defenses he was playing. And he didn't know how to call the switches with Jalen Ramsey. For most of the game, Javon Holland and Jalen Ramsey spent it screaming at each other about <laughs> who had who and who had to guard who. Okay? So, it, which which was really odd because Javon Holland is a guy that has always been, like, mature beyond his years. He's a very young guy. Mm-hmm. Good player. He has a C on his chest. He's a captain. It's very rare that you have – look at all our yeah. captains. All our captains are older guys on the team. So the I role- think the youngest captain we have is Tua, and he's 25. But so then okay. they have a guy like that roll in and go, hey – 
I'm a foundational piece of what we're doing here. Also, I don't know what the hell we're doing here. <laughs> that's a rough, that's a rough one. Yeah, he said that he was rusty, and and thus he, he's going to take full uh, full blame. That when every t- any time that you saw Ramsey screaming at him, that it was his fault. That he was just all screwing right. up coverages, and you can see it all day. Sir. But most notably, it was Duke Riley, and it, the, the bad news is that Duke Duke Riley had the worst game any Dolphin defender has had all season. The good news is that Jerome Baker's coming back this week. I was going to say, I saw that <laughs> Jerome Baker's coming back. So it's it's like, ah, damn it. You know, we could we probably could have used a little Duke Riley in my life. Um, you, know, I, you know, how do you explain a team runs a rail route on you, they get called for offensive pass interference. So you go, ooh, well, we just, we just you know, we, we dodged that bullet. We dodged that 45-yard bullet. They run it again, and they get a touchdown on it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, it worked. Fuck it's it, it's like if Todd Munkin said, "Damn it, they called us for offensive pass." You know what? Run it again. They're not going to call let's us. See they, in a row. Let's see if they defend it the same way, and this time we won't interfere. And it might go for a touchdown. Sure enough, it goes for a touchdown. You know, they give up five touchdowns on the first six drives. That's not a recipe for winning. And this team, and I understand that they had the huge comeback against the Ravens last year. They don't do well with with uh, with score pressure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Scoreboard pressure. They start pressing and they're trying to win it with every single throw and every single play. And that goes down with the that go, that's with the coach, that's with the quarterback, that's with everybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they like to stay in the game flow or ahead or just moderately behind, but they fall behind early, two three scores, and you can see how the scoreboard pressure. I mean that really goes right. Get to- <clears throat> that goes right back to the first Bills Dolphins game, and we we got a big. And then you watch their offense just shrink. You know, they, they had a couple drives where things didn't work out. And I remember one pass that was just, it was so close. Miami doesn't complete it. They punt. We score. Now you're down by two scores. And that is where you just saw Miami's offense become this, like, <clears throat> you know, it, all the points they'd been racking up. And then they just shrank from there. Now, in, in the context of this game, just so we can kind of get get everything out there and get a picture of what we're going to see. I want to start with health of the team because another week and another wave of fresh injuries just rolling up on the shores of South Beach. And again, there's they're always significant ones, right? Now you're going to be without your best remaining pass rusher, arguably most talented cornerback, and some bumps and bruises on your quarterback, although Bills fans are no stranger to that. What do you think the most serious injuries are in relation to this matchup with Buffalo? Okay, here's the the interesting part of about the the Dolphins injury situation. They seem to be getting pretty healthy on offense, and they're going to be the healthiest they've been on offense for a while. Their only major injury on offense. Look, uh, the game that they played against the Cowboys, I thought was one of the better games that they played in in ages. And people are going to say they won twenty two twenty. Who cares? You know. No, first of all, you know, it was the Cowboys team that was pretty desperate. They played with four backup offensive linemen, the Dolphins did. They went out there with Teron Armstead and four backups. And two of them off the street, essentially. Okay? And they still managed to only give up one sack, and the offense managed to operate, and they won the game against a pretty good team that was pretty desperate, which ended up getting all the help that they needed anyway from the the Cardinals, which was insane. Yeah. Right? But it looks like, you know, Austin Jackson came back for the Ravens game. He reported, you know, no bumps and bruises after the game, so he's all right. Robert Hunt looks pretty good for this one. So 
They're going to be down to essentially just two backups and really just one backup because Robert Jones is a guy that they counted on this season to play some because he was the top guard uh, off the bench. So mm-hmm. he should probably be the left guard. So they're basically going to play with one backup offensive line that who, who's been playing for four weeks already. Okay. Jalen Waddle looks like he's going to give it a go. You know, the most serious injury that they have right now on offense is Raheem Mostert. Okay. Uh, he's nursing two injuries, but you could kind of figure, you know what? You could get by because let's face it. I think Devon HN has announced himself as kind of a star in this league. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was absolutely spectacular in that Ravens game. Like Miami might have lost a million to 19, but he kind of won. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But on defense is where all the big injuries came. Their deepest position coming into the season was at, on the edge because you said you said to yourself, you know, you have two really, really good players and Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb. We are absolutely set on the outside. And behind them, you got uh, – how can you complain about having Andrew Van Ginkle and Emmanuel Ogba mm-hmm. behind them with Melvin Ingram, you know, lurking to, to come in? Well, now you're down to just that. You lost both starters. Now you got all your backups. The good news, yep. I'll give you the good news and the bad news. The good news is that Andrew Van Ginkle is playing himself into a role where he's going to get a lot of money. He's had a very, very good season. He's a good player. The bad news is is that they're going to try to use three players to replace Bradley Chubb, and I don't think that's enough. No. Because, yeah, Melvin Ingram is good in spurts. Uh, Emmanuel Agba has been good before. And Cameron Good is a is a second year player that he's a good looking rookie, you know, big, tall, you know, rangy edge rusher. But uh Bradley Chubb was having a team defensive MVP type season. Mm-hmm. No, okay? and, so and, and that's replacing the thing. him is nearly impossible. But the bigger replacement is the other injury that you spoke about, Xavier Howard. Yes. Uh, because here's here's the thing. Bills fans, and I think the Bills players have a real beef with Eli Apple. I mean, you read, now, obviously, our, our friend Reed Ferguson, He the, the man literally has never in my presence, and according to everybody we know, he just doesn't cuss. Even he would be hard-pressed not to call that guy a dickhead. <laughs> and so they kind of have an axe to grind with him. And where's your concern level when it comes to Eli Apple starting on the outside when they do, you know, spread the offense out and Cater Kohu has to shift inside to play the slot. Well, you have a, a media, like a media jihad going on right now because everybody is, every question of Vic Fangio is the same. Like, why won't you have Jalen Ramsey travel? Why won't you have Jalen Ramsey travel? And I think this is the week that where they're probably going to try something like that because they did it when they, the last time they had a lot of injuries in the secondary was against the Jets. And that's that's exactly what they did. They just put Jalen Ramsey on Garrett Wilson, and they pretty much doubled everybody else on the other side. So I think you're going to see something where. And I was talking about this on my show today on on OnlyFans Q and A Live because people were asking the same thing, like, "Oh, you got to you got to get on Diggs. You got to put Ramsey on Diggs." And I was saying, you know what? You're not necessarily going to have Ramsey travel on Diggs, but you will have Ramsey travel on Diggs and Gabe Davis on the outside, meaning. He's not gonna. You're not gonna allow the Bills to use formations to render Ramsey either useless or on Kincaid or on mm-hmm. Shakir or on anybody else other than Gabe Davis or Stephon Diggs on the outside. So it's gonna be a more focused game plan and a lot more conservative, I think. Well, 
Is there any belief that we might see rookie Cam Smith in this game? He's getting more and more run on special teams, and Vic Fangio talked him up this week, but I don't know what that means. He doesn't like rookies. He just doesn't like rookies. Well, you know, every time, yeah, every time you, you know, watch you know, Cam Smith, you know what I don't you, like you though. See Elf. what they liked about him when they drafted him, but he just won't play him. You, you, it's one thing to not like playing rookies. Trust me, Sean McDermott does it to a, <clears throat> and people will fight me on this. Sean McDermott and rookies is a complicated topic, right? And it sounds like it's the same thing with Vic Fangio. You know what I'm sure no coach likes? Three of four for 104 yards and a touchdown coverage. <laughs> like, he just got fucking worked. <laughs> and there's no coach on earth likes that. So for as much as Vic Fangio might look at Cam, uh, Cam Smith and go, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to turn a, a key position outside boundary cornerback over to a rookie. Holy shit, man. <laughs> It's Eli. Eli Apple has a history of just failing in critical moments. He's mm-hmm. he's already failed you once. It's not even like you're waiting for it to happen. It's happened. If you're gonna go out there and do it again, then whatever negative comes out of it is absolutely his fault. I. That's just the way I see it. I mean, I look at this and I say to myself, I understand some of what. It can happen. Like, I'm looking at this. Uh, there was a tweet from Jake Mendel on Twitter that I'm looking at right now. Lamar Jackson, when targeting Cater Kohu, Javon Hollander, Duke Riley, 9 of 9 for 147 and four touchdowns. That wasn't even picking that. That's that's aside the touchdown that he threw against Eli Apple. He said, I, I can make hay against any of these people. Now, obviously, Duke Riley, th- there's a reason Vic Fangio hates him. I think he just stinks. I think we've all seen that now. He's just not a very talented linebacker. But Kohu, Holland, you know, these are things where you have to look at that and say, okay, we don't want that to happen. What schematically on defense do you think they're going to do to try to stop this iteration of the Bills offense and what they are right now? Given the fact that Stephon Diggs, for all this talk about, oh, Ramsey will travel, Diggs might end up being one of our lower snap percentage targets on offense yeah i know and and i've tried to explain that to, to people and that's why i tried to talk them off of this uh this idea where you're just gonna have ramsey travel for 68 snaps against stefan Diggs. that's why i tr- i'm trying to push this idea where he's gonna travel to the side which means he's gonna be on gabe davis and stefan Diggs the entire game meaning both of them he's gonna have them whenever they're lined up against him but then you're gonna have to zone up or bracket the other guy uh now duke riley had played pretty well and I even got the, the sugar plums of some Dolphin fans dancing in their head. Oh, we're going to get out from under Jerome Baker's $9 million next year because we're going to just play Duke Riley out there. Well, uh, well, you saw what happened once you got to game number five with Duke Riley. All hell broke loose. Well, he played good against the, the, you know, the Jets. He played really good against the, the Cowboys. You know, he's had good games. He's a backup player for a reason. He's a complimentary linebacker. Now you're going to get Jerome Baker. It's no secret they're ramping him up, and he's already taking first-team snaps, which means he's going to play. Okay? So Jerome Baker will be in that in that role. David Long has been really, really good. As far as what they have to do, they have to get to some of the stuff, which is going to be kind of predictable, but it's going to be necessary. They're going to have to play some of their 50 fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> for those that don't know what their 50 fronts are, it's essentially playing Raekwon Davis, that nose tackle, and then playing both Wilkins and Sealer. At defensive tackle, and then you're just playing two edges. So you're playing like a 52 defense. You're playing yep. Van Ginkle and Melvin Ingram on the outside, or Van Ginkle 
and Emmanuel Ogba on the outside, and then you're playing all three defensive tackles. Essentially, it's a very big front. And you're just going to clog lanes against the run and just essentially just form a big pile of humanity in the middle of the field and cover with everybody else. So I think that they're going to have to get more basic. They, they can play some of those two, four, five uh, defenses that they have, which is big nickel. Mm-hmm. Brandon Jones has been coming on. So maybe something like that. But they're going to need Javon Holland to get back to who he was. And they're going to need an extraordinary game from somebody that we don't know about yet. Uh, something my guy, um, Chris Kaufman, has speculated about all year is why hasn't, for a guy who's known to play a lot of pressure five defenses, why doesn't Vic Fangio use Jerome Baker as a pass rusher? He had a lot of success as a pass rusher early on in his career. So maybe that is the way forward in, in this regard. Because we know he's athletic. Like, how do you combat a guy like Josh Allen that's much more athletic than most linebackers? Use really athletic linebackers mm-hmm. or really athletic safeties to chase him. That's one thing you can do. And Jerome Baker is that. Well, so what I'm looking at right now, because <clears throat> this is a uh, – you bring up an interesting point. We're talking about pressures and things like that. You know, Terrell Bernard, our linebacker, you know, he starts off the season and everyone's kind of surprised that he doesn't play the preseason at all, but he gets the job. And we assume he won it because he's just <clears> – <throat> you're the only one who didn't show your ass. And then the season starts, and – you start looking at where they're going with him. It turns out he's actually a pretty good coverage linebacker and he's instinctive and he has ball skills and you start to see these things. And then you start looking at how they're using them and you say, okay, so early on there was a ton of games where they just didn't rush him at all. They said, look, we want you to be an off the line, you know, just off ball linebacker. We want you to cover. We want you to chase. We want you to do all these things. Over the last month of football, he has he has what three sacks? <laughs> He's got eight pressures over the last month. This is what they've learned. They kind of have to do with Terrell Bernard. They say, "Look, <clears throat> now that we know we can trust him in this role, it's time to roll the dice because we need something. We need a spark. Let's make him a pass rusher too." Sometimes. I think what you're talking about is that dynamic of bringing, hey, now everyone knows and everyone has tape on what they think they know about this guy. It's time to modify what his job actually is and see if he can't also create some plays for us in that regard. It's going to be interesting. I'm really interested to see how this defense comes out against Buffalo because the last time, I don't know what the approach was. I don't know what the idea was. It didn't work. And the Bills just ran roughshod all over him for four quarters. Now, the Bills are relatively healthy on offense. On the other side of the ball, obviously the Bills suffered some losses, but our defense is really peaking. And there's an interesting tweet by Joe Shad that I saw this week, and it's a dynamic I want to talk to you about the offensive structure of the Dolphins ahead of this game. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of what your offense wants to be is wide receiver driven. So having Hill not 100% hasn't helped you. Missing Waddle really hurt you guys. I think that there's a chance you guys claw back into that Ravens game. Maybe you don't win it, but you definitely make it competitive if you had that interior threat to complement Hill on the outside. (coughs) Joe Shad says, two has been sacked 12 times in the last four games. He was sacked 12 times in the previous eight games. 
So you take a look at that and you say something changed over the course of the last month. Now, obviously, injuries to your wide receivers don't help. But then schematically, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of arguing on social media, which I think New Year's resolutions are bullshit, Elf, but mine was that I'm done arguing with idiots on social media about sports. I just don't care. I care I care about it more than politics, but less than literally anything else on earth. I don't I don't care about the opinions of strangers. So I just look at what's been going on with this Dolphins offense. There's a lot of conjecture about Tua being a one-read quarterback. A lot of people who will say that very insultingly say, oh, he's a one-read guy. All he had was that first thing. I think that's an oversimplification. I think that having Tyreek Hill not 100% has impacted their ability to get that, you know, hey, we can take the lid off a of defense anytime we want to, and it changes the way a defense plays. And then you take a look at what he's accomplished once the box of the offensive structure gets condensed. His A and B gap pressures have been pretty consistent, forcing some off-schedule throws, and that has to do with the injury to your center. Then you look at his pressure numbers. 3,947 yards, 26 touchdowns with 10 picks when he's clean. 563 yards, 40% completion percentage, two touchdowns and two picks when he's under pressure. Now, that's a testament to how infrequently teams have been able to get pressure on him this season. But at the same time, now it seems almost like teams over the last month have been able to speed Tua up a little bit by eliminating a not 100% Tyreek Hill. What's your level of concern about him operating? Because, I mean, we, we I go over some of those numbers for for Tua in you know, hit, like the, this last game. Throws beyond 20 yards. Terrible. Throws, <laughs> you know, I'm going to talk about it a little later in our Keys to Victory, but I. Uh, the downfield passing game really seems to have evaporated on you guys. What do you think about that, both in terms of what's happened and in terms of this matchup? Well, you got to understand that, first of all, whatever those those pressure numbers are or whatever good numbers that the Dolphins' offensive line gets, it's mostly because the quarterback is creating it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Two is not only the quarterback on this team. He's the left guard, the center, and the right guard for the most part. <laughs> okay? Uh we are an offense that is really operating with two good tackles and a lot of makeshift stuff up the middle. And a lot of those deep passing numbers are, they need a little bit of context. Tyreek Hill did drop a 97 yard touchdown the week before. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Chase Claypool dropped an absolute dime this week. Which shocker. Chase Claypool dropped the ball. No, you don't say. <laughs> Okay, so how do those numbers start looking if he doesn't have those two drops for for touchdowns this year against the Ravens? Those are two touchdowns that he would have gotten. He already had two, so maybe he gets four touchdown passes. Uh, He threw an absolute dime to Tyreek Hill. I don't think getting the ball down the field is much of the issue. It's about staying in in on schedule. Uh, Because I had somebody tell me, you know, on. On Hard Knocks, how come they didn't show the interceptions against the Ravens? Because that always seems like they show every interception against against everybody uh, on Hard Knocks. And I pointed out to them, they've been on Hard Knocks for seven weeks. Two of his only interceptions the last seven weeks have come against the Ravens. Those two that he threw <laughs> yeah. in that game. Okay? He had been on a streak. He had not thrown an interception for mm-hmm. five games since the, the Black Friday game. Okay? So he had been on a hot streak of not throwing interceptions. So... You know, a, a lot of that stuff has its own context. He's had a great season. 
Uh, this is the only <laughs> franchise, and you could hear them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as if they didn't have the largest collection of losers since Dan Marino retired be quarterback for this team. And I guess they forgot what a good quarterback looks like. Last I checked, the guy that's leading the league in yards is pushing 30 touchdowns. It's going to have a 2-to-1 touchdown interception ratio and over a 100 passer rating. I think you take that. Oh, and I sure. think you take that consistently. No, you, especially, you, you take especially it. Especially when he's having games like, like, go back and look at that Cowboy game. He played that game with four backup offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. But, but so now here's, and, and that's a perfect example, because you want to talk about going back as we're talking about what happened in these last two games. Where I'm looking for some context to what is going on with the passing offense, what I see is that, okay, so when the deep passing game isn't there, whether it's drops, whether it's just just simple lack of execution, that's fine. The Bills had multiple miscues with open wide receivers down the field that if Josh Allen connects on any of those, this New England game becomes a laugher. And nobody's talking about the woes of our passing game and all of these things. One of the things that I do find interesting is that for as much as your team throws the football, and then all of these passes, like in that Dallas game, you're 7-12 on throws of 10 or more yards. No touchdowns, 127 yards, and you look at the yak numbers for these players, and they're pretty limited. What do you think is driving that? Because that used to be a staple of the Dolphins' offense, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to dump it down to a skill player, not dump it. It's going to be a slant, or it's a designed play that's going to draw safety away from the middle of the field so that you can get a mismatch on a linebacker and then hit him with a fast receiver, and you know that that's going to pick up chunk yardage. Early on, that's what you guys were thriving on, and I'm watching some of these things you used to do really well have kind of, like I said, they're just less impactful than they used to be. Yeah, I think it has to do a lot with... uh all of these guys taking turns, taking injuries, you know. Uh, you had Tyreek with his ankle injury against the the Titans, who's he's been battling it ever since. And I guess he's as healthy as he's going to be right now, uh, which is to say he's still pretty effective. Yeah. But Jalen Waddell, he's a, he's a tough guy. Like, he he's, he's toughing out injuries all the time. He's spent – look, he's had another 1,000-yard season, and I, and it's funny to hear Dolphin fans talk about it. Oh, you know, Waddle hasn't been good this year. Yeah, well, he's been injured all year, and he gave you another thousand yards. Okay, yeah. So he's he's been pretty good. Okay, and then uh, HN. So it's those three guys taking turns, having injuries, having guys out of the lineup, and really the the unsettled nature of that offensive line all season has been changing up their game plans, and I think has really really messed with the rhythm of this offense. And you know. Uh, as, if you're going to get any good news is that, you know, with Robert Hunt back, you're getting some semblance of health on the offensive line. And the running game seems to be coming around a little bit here as of late. Well, do you have a prediction for this one, Elf, as we close this out? <clears throat> uh, well, I expected them to win the game. And I, like I said last week, I don't care who the hell they play at home. As long as they have their quarterback, they have their head coach, they should win games at home against anybody. I don't care who it is. You know, on the road now, anything's uh, you know, it's up for grabs. But as far as at home, I expect them to win this game. Will it be close? That's what the Bills do. They play close games, right? So it should be a close game, and I do expect Miami to pull it out. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do on defense, but they're going to have to do something. Big Fangio is going to have to earn his money. But I do expect a good game from the offense. It's and this game right here that you hired Vic Fangio for. Yeah, 
pretty much. So I do expect a good game from the offense because they usually play well at, at home uh, with their offense. So, And like I said, you go back and I think it's – what's the record? It's like 12-1, and one, These this coach and this – and this head coach, this quarterback together, starting and finishing a game, the last 13. Two was 19 and five for his career at home. Okay. Four of those losses were with, with Flores. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we expect success and we expect to win this game. And if you believe some of the scenarios, we might be doing it again the following week. Mm-hmm. Well. Nothing would make me happier than my team going down there and proving you guys wrong. And then having you guys have to travel back up here to Buffalo to have that game again. Nothing. Well, that's an impossibility. I don't know if you understand the, no. the permutations. Uh, yeah. We lose the game. We're going to Kansas City. It's guaranteed 100%. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Then we Can, can we get another rematch after this one's over? Let's just go out there. I, I feel pretty confident the Bills are going to win this one. I don't know why, because I'm usually the biggest hater, <laughs> or at least a pessimist. I'm a glass half empty, or, or in fact, not even glass half empty. Off. Have you ever seen that demotivational poster where they're like, there's three types of people, glass half full, glass half empty, and then the third person is just, and it's all like a glass is filled with a yellowish liquid. And then the third guy goes, this is piss. That's me. I'm the third guy going. It doesn't matter what it is because it sucks. Well, if you gauge the confidence of, of the, the average Dolphin fan, you know, it's almost as if they, they like this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got a home game at sun, on Sunday night football for the two seed and the division title. Okay. Uh, it's higher. Expe- it's, it's essentially overachieving over all of your expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw our predictions. Uh, if they win this game, they'll just meet, they're merely meat. Christian, uh, Chris Kaufman's prediction of 12 and 5. Uh, they'll beat my prediction of 11 and 6. And Simon's prediction of 11 and 6. So, you know, you have the game at home, you know, book up buttercup is what I would say. Absolutely. Alf, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can, where they can find the rest of your work. If you want to go on my, uh, on our Twitter page and troll us after you win this game on Sunday. You could go to three yards per carry. That's the number three yards per carry. If you want to listen to us talk about the loss to the Buffalo Bills on Monday, you could also check our our, our all our our social media pages, all our podcast pages. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. It's also the number three yards per carry. Alf Artiaga, one of the best guests that we have because people either love him or they hate him or they think he's delusional but if you want more of alf's unbelievable takes on twitter under alf underscore artiaga so chris that leaves us with nothing else but our keys to victory wow it's a lot of keys bigger the keychain more powerful the man the first one is going to be to limit the downfield big play offense now as i alluded to earlier when i was talking to alf Against Baltimore, Tool was one of three on throws of 20 or more yards through the air. Now, there were some drops. There were things that could have been big plays. But every single quarterback in the NFL can say, oh, I, I could have had that. The reality is, is that the Dolphins always used to have that. 
one of three on throws of 20 more yards, 20 or more yards, five of 12 with two interceptions on throws of 10 plus yards. So in that 10 to 20 window, less than 50% with two picks <laughs> throwing into a, what is essentially the safety and linebacker core. <clears throat> the week before that against Dallas, one for four on throws of 20 plus yards, no touchdowns and 50 yards. 7 of 12 on throws of 10 or more yards, 10 to 20 yards, no touchdowns, only 127 yards total. And as you heard me explaining to Elf, the yards after the catch simply are not there anymore for this team. They, they have had a real struggle generating yak, and that's led to some really close games and the blowout loss. The last two weeks, the box has shrunk for them. And it almost reminds me of, do you remember what happened to us when we had Ryan Fitzpatrick and teams figured out that he just didn't have the arm strength to throw deep outs? No. Or to push the ball up the seams? I do. I remember that first year when everything was working, we gave him the contract extension, and then when they when teams figured out, oh, we don't have to, be, they don't have any deep threats, one, and two, we don't have to worry about those threats getting off. Safeties creep in, the box gets tighter, and you really find yourself in a tough spot trying to move the ball through the air. That's, to a certain degree, been the Miami offense over the last couple weeks. Now, some of this is wrapped up in the health of Jalen Waddle, and if he plays, it'll be better. But all this talk about how Tua was leading the NFL in time to throw at the start of the year, as soon as his ability to hit his first read to a Tyree Kill who is already in motion and who every he, he suctions so much of the defense to him and really that still doesn't stop it. As soon as that dried up and people could now start covering Hill a little bit easier because of his ankle, still a great player, but because it's easier now, he, the explosive plays dried up for their offense. <clears throat> it's undeniable if you look at the numbers. That plays into the hands of a team like Buffalo. Over the course of the last three weeks, they have been fantastic at sweeping up all of the garbage in front of them in terms of rallying to the ball and short throws and tackling, limiting yards after the catch, limiting downfield plays, creating pressure when quarterbacks do try to take downfield throws in order to make the throws a little bit more difficult. All of those things, like our opponent... Chris, nobody has moved the ball quickly on this defense over the course of the last month. Our opponents have had to put on, when they do score, a lot of 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives. That gives you more opportunity for negative plays. And it hasn't been getting them beaten despite you know Patrick Mahomes and CeeDee Lamb's skill levels. You're not getting beat deep. No one's getting behind your defense. Things are going relatively well for you in this regard. I just look at what's happening here, and I think that if we can limit to his ability to push the ball down the field, whether that's, if you think you have somebody who, a sort of injured Tyreek Hill, you, I mean, Chris, how do you match up with him at cornerback? I almost feel like <clears throat> Douglas on him might be a mistake because Douglas isn't fast. He's big, he's physical, he's not fast. He could set his house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> S 
someone sent me a picture from Twitter, and it was a quote tweet of the photo of Tyreek Hill's house on fire. And it was just Sean McDermott wearing, like, a turban and a big, like, shawl. (laughs) Jesus Christ, guys, what are we doing? It's the internet. You can do anything on the internet. Yeah, just ask Jeffrey. Uh, just ask Jeffrey Epstein. So, so, I think that there's going to be opportunities here for our defense to kind of limit that, and if we can do it, and we can force them to have to dink and dunk and have to make plays, kind of short plays and matriculate an offense down the field. That'll play directly into our favor because this is a game that you can't afford to let get out of hand. You can't give up explosive plays because I just don't see us having the ability to replicate that on the other side. Now, if we're going to move the ball, it's going to be because of this, Chris. The graphic that you're showing everybody right now, that's Dalton Kincaid's passing chart against the New England Patriots. The Dolphins are going to commit a lot of resources and pressure to slowing down the Bills' wide receivers. Just, they're a group that doesn't separate well right now, our wide receivers. And Shakir might be the only explosive guy we have at the position. Davis is good for a big play if they can get that working. You know, some deep crosses, some deep post, a post route or two. But what I do know is that the middle of the Dolphins' defense, now obviously Duke Riley's not going to be out there, which is disappointing, but they just got devastated by the Ravens, just tight ends and running backs in the passing game. And a lot of that was because the Dolphins felt like they had no choice but to commit resources to those wide receivers. They said, look, we their wide receiving talent is enough that we can't commit extra safeties to protecting our linebackers, to protecting the middle of the field. If we do, we're going to pick one safety and have him man up on a tight end and just hope that that mismatch doesn't burn us. Isaiah Likely, who's not anywhere near the same talent as Dalton Kincaid, two for two against Javon Holland for 40-plus yards and two touchdowns. Running back Justice Hill, five of five through the air, four of those coming against Duke Riley for three first downs and a touchdown. Justice Hill ain't James Cook. James Cook is a much better player than him. If you factor in that Miami isn't going to play pure man because of Allen's legs and isn't going to sit back in a passive zone and not try to pressure Allen, there's going to be plays to be made in the middle of the field. And I think Kincaid, and to a lesser extent, Knox, and then Cook are kind of the key to moving the football in this game. We talked during our recap show about what I think is going on with Stephon Diggs. I'm not willing to count on him for much. Maybe a maybe a, a crucial third down conversion, maybe a big catch here and there, or a nice catch and run on like a, a swing or a, a screen. I'm not expecting Gabe Davis. I'm not expecting Stefan Diggs. I'm not expecting Khalil Shakir to be the engines that drive this offense to actual success this weekend. Now again, maybe I'm high. Maybe I'm maybe I've had too many Montuckies. But I think that this is a game you have to look at your investment in these tight ends for this 12 personnel thing 
but then know that knowing that you can also play 11 personnel with those same guys and you can say to yourself this is where my biggest mismatch is i have to lean into that as an offensive coordinator have to it allows me to do a lot of things off play action which obviously helps what do they say lamar jackson ran play action on 36 percent of his uh plays last week and just decimated the the dolphins Joe Brady had Josh Allen running a lot of play action early on when he first took over. I feel like this is a good time to get back to that. And then we just got to clean up the mental mistakes. Look at this. I mean, I feel like this is the most elementary one out of all of them. Three different drops by three, three drops by three different players against New England this past weekend. That was our highest total since the Kansas City game where we had two. Allen just missing wide open targets because the offensive line isn't getting the protection they need and it speeds Josh Allen's internal clock up. And instead of looking to find the wide open Khalil Shakir or instead of seeing Dalton Kincaid breaking open late on a play, he's just winging it or he's taking off and he's running. Pass catchers, right? Just struggling to get off press coverage or tight coverage as soon as New England's DBs got their hands on them. That was a big problem in that game. It's the internal offense, interior offensive line struggling. It was bad. The, the tackles combined for one pressure, but the guards gave up six pressures, one sack, and four quarterback hurries. That can't happen again. Like, Allen takes the blame when he says things like, well, the ball just wasn't coming out of my hand well, and blah, 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 blah. Chris, what does that mean? It wasn't coming out of my hand well. I don't know what that means. Throw the ball, you fuck. I think that group right there, Torrance, McGovern, Mitch Morse, every, the, you have all these little pockets of people on the team, whether it's the pass catchers, whether it's Josh, whether it's the interior offensive line. Everyone has to collectively get their shit together. Find some composure. If you can do that for three out of four quarters... Three out of four. That's probably enough to net you a W in this game. Because Josh Allen, when he's protected, and he's got time, and Joe Brady is on point, it's that Eagles game, Chris. It's like, hey, look, here's a defense that's not exactly elite. It's not a top ten defense. So let's go get them. Let's treat them like they're not an elite defense. Let's... Kind of show, especially one with a depleted defensive line. They're now going to have to do some things that are out of structure for them just to try to cobble together. Hey, let's try to patchwork something together here to stop Josh Allen. If everybody can get their composure together, you know, I can't have Latavius Murray dropping an easy first down catch and run. That can't happen again. This is it. This is the game of your, this is the game for your season. I'd like to think that they're up to the task. Hopefully they prove us right. Guys, this has been fun. I'm almost nervous to try to make a prediction, Chris. What do you think? Bills by a tutty. You think by a full touchdown? Yeah. Wow. I think Bills at the gun, it's going to be another game like when they came here. Because that's divisional games, baby. It's going to be tight. I think the refs are going to do just enough to keep Miami in it. And I think that 
late. We're going to have to make some magic, and it's going to be a long field goal, something that has been the bane of the Bills' season. <clears throat> Tyler Bass is going to redeem himself on a game-winning field goal. God, I can't wait. It's that nervous excitement. I... But this is what it's all about, right, Chris? Like mm-hmm. the rivalry is back. This nervous energy. I imagine this is how my father felt, right? Yeah. How your father felt. How all of our fathers felt watching them back in the nineties. Although some of you were old enough, Terry. <laughs> I think he was probably my father's age then. Most likely. <laughs> Terry, we love you. Guys, this has been fun. I don't know. I feel like I feel like this is the end of the movie Ghostbusters. We're about to cross the streams. It's just like, hey, I'll see you, I'll see you on the other side. Guys, I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your week 18 preview. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.